welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Well, um, this is week two in our series, Grace Abounds. And uh, if you were here last week, if you weren't, I suggest that you get the podcast off our website because we are building over the next few weeks towards Easter. But uh, we learned the fact that um, the problems of humanity started with a lie, that, that we believed a lie. And, and the lie was that God doesn't care. God isn't good. Uh, we have to take things into our own hands. We have to do things ourselves if it's going to get done. We can't trust God. And so um, we have to uh, begin our own initiatives. Now, uh, the reason why we are angry, the reason why there's so much anger in society, the reason why there's anger in your family, the reason why that you get angry, may I say, is fundamentally this. It's this belief that God doesn't care. Uh, and so you've got to do it yourself when God should be caring. Um, and it's almost subconscious, this, this idea that, that God's not doing what he should be doing. Um, have you ever had a husband that was supposed to take the rubbish out and didn't, Right? What happened? You get angry with him. Or, or, a, or a, a, a boss who was supposed to pay you and didn't pay you. Anyone ever supposed to get paid and not get paid? And what happens when your boss doesn't pay you on Thursday when you're supposed to get paid? You get angry. And so God's not doing what he should be doing. So there is this, there is this sense of anger that we have. But we are incurably religious. And so we have to have meaning somewhere. We have to trust somewhere. And so we put our trust in things like, I don't know, success, power, money, family, um, romance. And, and we look at these things and we, it's almost as if we worship them. With, our, our trust is in them, but we understand they are finite. Uh, they are failing. And because of that, because they are so finite and because they can so easily fail, we um, feel insecure. So we've got this under, underlining anger that, that, that causes this insecurity. And if you were here last week, you remember the whole idea of you know, sowing fig leaves. You know, we we, 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 we got to do something. We have this incredible sense of inadequacy, Right. And so this morning, maybe you put on makeup, I don't know, this morning, I don't know, you did something to kind of, you know, uh, present yourself so that you're a, 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 at, a, at a good enough kind of uh, uh, position to go out in public, right? Um, we want to, we, we, we try to make ourselves a little bit better than what we actually are because we're a bit fearful that if people know what exactly we were, then they wouldn't be real happy with us. Uh, and this, this kind of fig leaf approach to life, this covering of who and what we, we, we really are, because deep down there is this abiding sense of inadequacy. And may I even call it shame. And so what do we have? We have, we have anger, we have insecurity, and we have shame. And surely you're asked the question, is there an antidote for this? <laughs> Can somebody remediate the problem? Is, is there an answer to this? And of course, there is an answer to this. Somebody can deal with the issue. Um, there is a, a, a way out. The, the, the process of death can be overcome. And we're going to examine it this morning very, very carefully. 
we're going to look at some questions that God asks Adam in the garden. And these questions are never motivated from the point of view of uh, attaining information. God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know. God asks questions because he's leading us. He's leading Adam to a point. And we're going to examine the questions very carefully to try to discern exactly where God is leading Adam. God is the great counselor, okay? And if anyone's ever been to a great counselor, a great counselor asks searching questions because they know that you forget what you're told. You'll forget what I've preached here this morning. You'll forget it by the time you get home for lunch. You don't remember what other people say too much, but you do remember what you say. And that's why a good counselor gets you to speak because you remember what you say. And so that's what God is doing with Adam. Uh, God is not seeking to acquire information he does not have and asking the question. He's leading Adam to a point that Adam knows something. He's leading Adam to discover healing. Before we get to this in Genesis 3, just to build the tension a little bit more, um, in Genesis 4, he does a very similar thing to uh, a young man, or we don't know exactly how old he is, we'll call him a young man by the name of Cain. And it's quite amazing how gentle God deals with Cain because Cain has fallen into a tremendous jealousy towards his brother Abel that's so deep and so bitter he wants to kill him. And so Cain is contemplating the murder of his brother and God comes to Cain. And what does he say? I love what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what you or I might have said to Cain, right? Maybe you've said this to someone lately. Do you know what's wrong with you? Have you ever said it to anybody? I mean, it, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I can see what's wrong with you. You can't see what's wrong with you. So I'm here to help you. I'm your best friend. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. He, he doesn't say that. He, he doesn't come to Cain and say, you know, you're full of jealousy. You're full of this and these are your problems. No, no. He comes with a searching question. In Genesis 4 verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? You know the answer though, don't you? You know why he's angry? Because he doesn't believe God cares. That's gone real deep, all right? He comes to Cain, he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? That's a profound question. He's saying to Cain, look at yourself. Look carefully into your heart. You say you're mad at Abel. But what is the real cause? It's a powerful question because Cain refuses to answer it. He won't answer the question, why are you angry? So God turns to a warning and says in the next verse, if you do what's right, you'll... Um, sorry, if, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do... Uh, but if... Sorry, but if you... Do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. It's desire to have you. You must rule over it. Okay, so let me just sort of clarify what's going on here. He's saying this. He's saying, if you don't get this right, sin is like a crouching tiger at the door, right? It's, it's, it's going to pounce on you. If you don't answer the question why you're angry, then you'll face the consequence. You'll be destroyed by the very thing that is resting in your heart you think that it's righteous indignation you think that you're justified but it's just 
jealous pride. What is God seeking him to do? Where is he trying to lead him? Same place he's trying to lead Adam, which we'll get to those questions in a moment. But I'm going to put the word out there because this, this, this is where God is leading Cain. This is where God is leading Adam. And this is where God leads everybody. This is the, the place of healing. This is the area that remediates the process of death. And the answer is repentance. One word, repentance. Carl Messenger, who I quoted last week from his book, What's Become of Sin, says this. And he's, this guy's not a Christian, but he has this profound insight. He says, as long as people live under, under the shadow of real unacknowledged and unexpedited guilt, they will continue to hate themselves. But the moment they begin to accept their guilt and their sinfulness, the possibility for radical reformation opens up. Now, what is repentance? See, for some of you, you think, oh, great, that's all I need. I'm going to feel worse about myself, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this self-flagellation, this breast beating. Oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm just a worm. I'm going to, you know, eat dirt. That, that's repentance, right? Yeah, yeah, I need more of that. I mean, I already feel bad enough about myself as it is now. Thanks, mate. So you're saying the answer to my problems is to feel worse about myself. Is that what repentance is? Is it self-hatred? Well, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians this. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. The word salvation, sozo, means life. Godly sorrow, repentance, brings salvation, it brings life, and leaves no regret. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Repentance brings about salvation, life with no regrets. On the other hand, this is important, worldly sorrow brings death. Repentance and remorse. Repentance brings life, remorse brings death. What is the difference? Um, it's a really important question because there's a difference between life and death. In fact, it's brought home to us in the, um, in the manner of a stark revelation, I suggest, through the lives of Peter and Judas. Remember Peter and Judas? They both did the wrong thing by their Savior on the same weekend. On the same weekend, one betrayed and the other denied. One had repentance and one had remorse. The repentance of one Peter, obviously, because there's a lot of Peters in the room. There's not many Judases. Uh, think about that. Um, Peter, right, within a few weeks, we see him roaring like a lion. He's as bold as a lion. He's living a life with no regrets and full of life. Peter is becoming a foundation stone in a movement that's going to sweep the globe and change human history, a movement called the church. There's Peter at its forefront, standing in the streets proclaiming that Jesus has risen from the dead. And where is Judas? What happens to Judas? Judas, on the same weekend, let his Savior down. And where is Judas today? While Peter is proclaiming Jesus has risen from the dead, Judas is dead. What happened to Judas? He killed himself. That's the difference between remorse and repentance, folks. Repentance leads to life. Remorse 
you'll kill yourself. Now, there's a way, you gotta work with me here, because there's a way of looking at your frailties and your mistakes, your nakedness, your inadequacies that will lead to life. And there's a way of looking at your frailties and inadequacies that will lead to death. Do you wanna know the difference? You, you want to understand this, uh, this, this repentance, the remorse? I think it's pretty important. If you can't clearly articulate that in your mind right now, I suggest you listen very carefully to this next 15 minutes. As we drop in and, and as, as God leads Adam to repentance, and, and, and the answers uh, we find... Um, uh, in the questions, the way he's designed the question is where you uh, see uh, the answer. If you were to say to me, oh, I've repented over that and you still feel bad about it, then you haven't repented. Um, repentance is unto life, the Bible says. It is a way of life. It is a, it is a way of health. It's the way of joy. It reverses the process of shame, insecurity, and anger, the process of death that I spoke about in the beginning. It reverses those when you understand the heart of repentance. So our assignment is to understand that heart this morning. And to do that, we're gonna drop in on this, this, this inter, uh, interplay between God and Adam. In Genesis chapter three, verse seven. It says this, just as we move into it, it says, the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees in the garden. Okay, now we get to the questions, all right? That's just the run-in to the questions. You know what's happened, right? They've, 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 they've sinned. Um, they now know. They're now feeling shame. They're covering themselves. God comes. And they hide. Listen to what he says. God says to Adam. Um, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Important question. Because I don't know everybody in the room, and it's probably safe to say in a room with this many people, that there are people here who are skeptics about Christianity. And you can be skeptical about Christianity, and, be, and you're welcome here by all means. Come every week. That's great. Ask your questions. Uh, inquire find out your answers that's really important to me but 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 here's what eventually happens right i'll give you fair warning about where this is leading because you are skeptical about the concepts of religion maybe you're skeptical about the existence of god about the about the beliefs of christianity and you can be skeptical about these things and you can ask questions but there comes a time when God turns the tables. And there comes a time when whilst you are questioning the substance of God and Christianity, God comes directly to you and questions you by name. God turns it personal. Repentance is personal. Where are you? The pathway of healing is to recognize that God addresses you as an individual. See, we look, about, we, we look at Christianity as, you know, as, as something external, a body of belief. And God says, okay, you know, ex, uh, uh, investigate the body of belief. But while you're investigating the body of the belief, God comes and starts to investigate you personally. 
And, and it moves from, a, uh, from an external kind of, of doctrinal thing to all of a sudden it's a very personal thing. Where are you? And he answers in verse 10. Bad answer, by the way. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. So I hid. Bad answer, Adam. He could have said the truth. But he didn't say the truth because he wouldn't recognize the truth in himself. Just like me. And maybe just like you. See, what he's complaining about here is the fruit of the issue, not the root of the issue. He's complaining about fear. Have you ever felt fear? Have you ever felt insecure? Have you ever felt a sense of, uh, of uh, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm inadequate? And do you pray to God about this? You say, oh God, I'm fearful. God, help me, I'm fearful. And you're praying over the fruit and you miss the root. See, the, the issue for Adam was not the fear that he felt. The issue for Adam was he'd sinned. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't come to God and say, oh God, I've sinned. <laughs> I heard you coming and I'd, I, 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 I sinned. He said, I heard you coming and I felt fear. Why did he feel fear? Because he'd sinned. But you see, so many times we pray to God over our emotional state, not recognizing that our emotional state is covering what the actual issue is. The issue for Adam was not his fear. The issue for Adam was that he'd sinned. See, worldly sorrow is remorse. And remorse is always over the fruit, never the root. So, so God... God's, God's going to take us a little bit deeper here with the next question, right? So he says, where are you? He's making it personal. And Adam says, oh, I'm hiding over here because I'm scared. And God knows it's got nothing to do with your fear, mate. God knows that. So he, look, 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 look at what he says next. Look at the next question, how he's taking this deeper with Adam. He says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree, this is important, that I commanded you not to eat from. All right, let me get specific here, Adam. Did you eat from the tree? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what so many of us kind of believe. He doesn't say, did you break the rules? He doesn't say, have you broken a commandment? What he says was, have you trampled my word underfoot? He makes it personal. See, too many times we define sin in a formal sense. God defines it in a personal sense. See, we, we, we think, oh, well, I violated some external code, you know. Oh, I've done this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And I come with God and I empty my sin bucket, you know. And, and you know, if I'm a Catholic, I'll go to confessional and I'll confess my sin you know, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. I've done this, this, and this. And if you're a Protestant, you probably don't go to a, a confessional. You probably go straight to God yourself. You know, same deal though. Oh God, forgive me for I have sinned. I've done this, this, and this. And we define sin as some kind of formal code. God defines it very personally. 
God basically says to Adam, Adam, look at this, Adam, have you spat in my face? Have you trampled what I asked you to do? God defines it with great clarity. Let, 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 me, let me even define this even clearer for you if you're struggling a little bit. Um, many of you in the room have heard the story of David and Bathsheba. So, so you know, David's the king and he sees Bathsheba in, in the bath. She thought all the men had gone off the wall, so she's walking around naked on the top of her, her house and he falls in love. <laughs> you want to call it that? And he thinks, I must have her. I want her. I need to be true to myself, you know. The heart wants what the heart wants, Woody Allen says. And how many in this room have ever tried to rationally talk someone out of what, uh, wanting what their heart wants? You know, once the heart wants it, baby, the heart wants it, the heart's going to have it. And so he sees this woman and he thinks, oh man, I've got to have her, I've got to have her. And so he takes her and eventually he realizes he's become a slave to his passions. He comes to his senses and he writes a, a psalm of repentance, not a psalm of remorse, but a psalm of repentance. And in this phrase is the heart of repentance. Let me read it to you, and then I'm going to argue with it. But, but this is the heart of repentance. It says this, Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you, David speaking, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, how bad is that? He's taken another man's wife. He was the king. She was just some subject. So there was a huge power difference, right? So she might have been complicit, but come on, he's the king. She couldn't say no. How about the girl? Did he sin against her? Did he sin against the girl? Hello? Well, what's he saying? This is rubbish then, right? If he sinned against the girl. What about her husband? If you sleep with another man's wife, have you sinned against the husband? You think so? So David's wrong. The Bible's wrong, right? This is crazy stuff. Against thee only have I sinned. What about the family? Right, if the king takes a woman and uh, they've got kids, who knows? There's a father and she's got a father and on and on it goes. How many know once you get mixed into adultery, it's complicated, right? It gets complicated. What about all those people? Did he sin against them? What do you think? What kind of arrogance is this? Against thee only have I sinned. Is, that, is, that, is this an abrogation of, of responsibility? Or is this a declaration of truth? And all you people were saying yes a minute ago are just deceived. <laughs> and I led you, I, I, I led you. <laughs> See, if you understand this verse, you understand repentance. And if you don't, you don't. You see, why would he say against thee and thee only when I've sinned? When he defiled a woman, he had her husband killed, if he didn't know the whole story, and then left the family and so on and so forth without a son and a, a brother and a husband and a father and so on and so forth. Because David knew something. David knew that the issue here is not the breaking of a moral code. You've got to get this. The issue here is the breaking of a relationship. Anybody in this room, and don't have to put your hand up or respond, but anyone in this room had a, ch a wayward child, 
your kid's gone off the tracks and done crazy stuff. What's the pain in your heart? Is the pain in your heart based on their behavior or is the pain in your heart based on the broken relationship? David understood something. <clears throat> there are two things going on here. There always is. One is the, the surface thing, you know? Oh, oh I want to have that naked woman, right? That's, that's, we all get that. Oh, I assume we all do. <laughs> but there's something else more profound, deeper going on here, and it's this. I've got to have her. Now, I know God's law says don't commit adultery. But if I never have her, I'm never going to be happy. I'm the king. I could have everything, but I must have her. Therefore, God's law isn't good. Because God's law says no. God's law won't make me happy. God doesn't care for me then. God's law, God's law isn't good. God's keeping things from me that if I'm ever going to be satisfied, if I'm ever going to be happy, I must have. Therefore, God is not good. You get that? God is not good. That's where that phrase comes from. David understood the process of sin here. It wasn't that he slept with this woman, I'm sure. That, you know, that's not a good thing to do. But it was that he determined in his heart that the law of God wasn't good, therefore God wasn't good. Remember last week we, we, we established the fact that the beginning of sin is the belief that God doesn't care for you. Your anger issues is not, you know, you can go and get counseling for it, you can write it off psychologically, but I can tell you right now, it comes from a fundamental belief that God doesn't care for you. And he should be. Our insecurity, our shame. It all comes from the same, the same origin. See, therefore, the, 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 um, prior to his adultery, he was trampling on the love, the goodness of God. It was a character assassination of God. A radical questioning of the morality of God. And underneath every sin, of course, you don't think about it like this at the time. But underneath every sin, is this belief that God doesn't care for you. That's why repentance is a personal thing between you and God. You have to acknowledge the fact that you've taken things in your own hands. You've done things your way. Why? Because God doesn't care. We must realize that every sin is a dagger in the heart of God. The difference between repentance and remorse is number one, uh, remorse deals with the fruit of the issue. Remorse deals with how it's affecting me. I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. I'm afraid. Right? Remorse deals with how the effects of my behavior have played out in me. That's, that's remorse. Remorse leads to death. Just follow Judas. Right? Repentance. Repentance deals with how it's affected God. Repentance understands it. Okay, this is not some thing about, you know, well, I'm now in trouble. God, get me out of here. I've done all these things my own way and it's, I'm drowning. No, 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 no. It's an understanding that I've broken the relationship that I had with God. It comes back to a relationship issue. And it says, God, sorry that I've broken this connection that we've had. David, don't do it. It's not authentic freedom. It's adultery. We'll talk about this more a little bit next week. But the whole idea of freedom and what freedom really is. And now everybody wants to be free, yet they're walking around 
incarcerated by the behaviors of their past. And, and their concept of freedom is so warped. David, don't do it. You're believing you know better than God. You're believing that God is not good. If you're here this morning and, and you, you say to me, well, okay, so now you're telling me. I've I got to view my sin, right? Not as a formal code I've broken, but the fact that I've spat in the face of God. The fact that I've trampled our connection under my feet. This is supposed to lead the life. I feel bad. <laughs> Anyone feeling like, well, I feel worse than I felt before. You said that this was supposed to lead to life. I feel slimy. I feel, I feel uh, you know, um, more condemnation. I, I feel bad about that, that I, that I would have done that to God. I feel dreadful. You said this was supposed to solve the problem. You've just made the problem worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my response to that would be this. If you look at the Christian history books, you learn something very important about the early church, about early Christians. You look at the confidence they had when they faced the lion singing hymns. How they had a joy that was just unspeakable and, and a confidence that was undefinable. Some of you in this room, you say, I can't even face my boss tomorrow. I didn't even want to go home. <laughs> Yet these people walked into the lion's den with joy. I can't even look at my problems. I wish I had that confidence. I wish I had that joy. I wish I had that, that, that kind of power. Let me tell you why they had it. The key to their power was they understood the process of repentance. They were better repenters than you and I. <laughs> See, the concept of Jesus dying on the cross. Now, I, I told you we're in a four-week series called Grace Abounds. His grace abounds. Taking it for that last song, His grace abounds to us. And, uh, and, and it is my intention that by the time we get to uh, Easter uh, Sunday, right, that you are so full of thankfulness, right, that the serotonin is flowing through your brain in such quantities that you won't even need a chocolate Easter egg. <laughs> right? You'll go home, right, you'll go home from church on Sunday morning and you look at those Easter eggs and you can say, stay in your wrapper because I don't need you. I have Jesus, you know. You'll, you'll be so full of, so full of joy. And, and this, is, this is a process. That's what I'm saying. Don't miss a week because this is where we're headed. But what you need to know, if I can take you back now to these early church people, that, that they understood what it meant that Jesus died for their sin and rose again. And, and, and it so filled them with joy, it almost moved them to tears. You see, if your response to someone offering help is directly proportionate to your conscious understanding of need, let me exp explain. If I'm getting on a bus and walking up the stairs and you come to me and say, can I help you, right? I'll either think you're, you're, you're joking or you're mad. Because I don't need your help to walk up the stairs, right? I'm perfectly physically capable. I walk upstairs every day. So if you come to me to help me walk upstairs, I'm going to dismiss you. You know, yeah, whatever. You're an idiot. Right? <laughs> and that's what some people dismiss us. 
because they don't realize their condition. They don't understand what sin is. They think this is some kind of, you know, um, they think that church is all about behavior management. It's all about come and listen to the uh, Sermon on the Mount and learn how to behave better. But it's not behavioral management at all. Sin is not a lifestyle. I should say, Christianity is not a lifestyle. Christianity is a proclamation, right? It's not a lifestyle. It's not come to, you know, come to church and we'll teach you how to be better people. That's not, these people understood what, what, what it meant for Jesus to die for their sins. They understood what sin was. They understood repentance. You see, if I've had an accident and I'm lying on the ground, and my cars are right off, and I can't move because I have broken legs, and you come and you help me onto a stretcher and help me into an ambulance, I'm going to be thankful for you because I, I have a conscious understanding of my need of you. And, and the early church had a conscious understanding of what sin had done. And, and I wonder today that we live with such comfort and we live in this kind of, you know, everybody wins a prize mentality. I think we've lost our, our understanding of what sin is. And so we come to church and we hear, you know, some nice song. We get a nice kind of feel. It was lovely. You know, I, you know, I, felt, I, you know, I felt better. And, and, and it's not wrong to feel better, but you've got to feel better for the right reason. <laughs> and the point is you've got to understand what sin is. Sin is you personally trampling on the Word of God that comes to you with love. When you understand that, you, 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 you see how much God loves you and, and, and you repent. You say, God, I, I, I'm sorry. And this is what they did. And, and the more they, they understood their sin, the more they repented. And that it wasn't some formal code, but the severing of their relationship with God. The more they repented, the more they were astonished and amazed and lifted up by the idea of what Jesus had done for them. And as a result, they repented more. And the happier they got, and the happier they got, the more they were able to admit their sin, the more they realized how much they were loved, the more they felt so confident and, 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 and surrounded by God, the more they were open up to God and said, well, God, you know, in this area, I haven't trusted you. And in this area, I haven't trusted you. And the more they opened up to God, the more they felt God's presence in their life, the more they loved God. And repentance led to life. What is repentance? I'm going to put this summary on the board of all that we have said. There she is. It's seeing what your sin, not someone else's behavior, not some moral code, but what your sin cost God. If my child was to rebel and, 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 and misbehave and run away, I, 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 they can feel sorry about what they did. But what would really reconcile them with me is them coming to me, saying, Dad, I'm sorry that we broke the relationship. Because at the end of the day, right, whatever you've done, we can get over that. You're my child. What breaks my heart is that we've lost the connection. 
seeing what your sin cost God and recognizing it paid for it. I broke the connection. He reconnected it. Recognizing he paid for it and because of his love. Oh man, I'm not going to trample on his word anymore. That's repentance. The more you repent, the more you have life. The more you recognize how sin has broken the relationship between you and the Father who loves you more than you can comprehend. It's not about your behavior. It's not about what you've done. It's about what you broke. And you come to Him and you acknowledge that. And He pours in His grace. His grace abounds to you. He pours it in and He pours it in. And He solves. He fixes the connection. And when you know that, your heart leaps in your in the cavity of your chest with joy and you know that you know that you're his let's bow our heads we're going to pray Father we thank you this morning that you lead us all down this pathway of repentance Lord that you're working on our lives Lord uh, every day you come to us and, and, and you, you ask these searching questions of us Lord, not to reveal things that will destroy us, but to bring us as individuals to a point of life, to a point of repentance. Look, folks, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and we're just in this moment of prayer, I, I do need to ask if you're in this room, and look, you might have defined yourselves as a Christian, you might, but you've never really come and said, Lord, I'm sorry that I broke your heart. Maybe you've, you, you've, you've prayed to God about all kinds of issues in your life of fear and insecurity and shame and, and anger and all these things, but, but you've never taken responsibility and said, God, I'm sorry. I spat in your face. Against you only have I sinned. I didn't believe you cared for me. But today God comes to you continues to care he continues to to encourage to come alongside and come on come on come on come back it's okay come back it's okay come back come back if you're in this room today and, you, and, and you're you're not at one with God you're, you're apart from God but today you want to come and be one with him there is an invitation of the Holy Spirit right now directly to you. Forget about everybody else in the room. It's not about them, it's about you. God comes to you. He says, reconcile, repent. This is your moment. If, if that's you, then I'm just going to ask you to say, yeah, that's me. Just raise your hand and go, yeah, that's me. I'm going to pray for you right, right where you are. But if that's you this morning, God comes to you over that matter. Just take the courage of your convictions and just give me a little wave and go, yep, include me in the prayer. Include me in the prayer. Good on you. Someone else just include me in the prayer. Good, good on you. Someone else just improve. Thank you. Someone else just lift up. God bless you. Thank you. Someone else over the back here. God bless you. Thank you. Is anybody else? Just give me a wave and say, that's me this morning. Just, that's me. I've taken things in my own hands. Just put your hand down. Thank you so much. Anybody else this morning? God comes to you. 
This is, this is a moment for you to recognize what the, the source of your issues are. You can write them off psych- psychologically or you can come to God this morning and reconcile with Him. Somebody else lift up a hand and go, yeah, that's me. I'm going to pray for you this morning. Amen. Father God, you see those hands that have been raised. Lord, you know um, what transpires in the heart behind that raised hand. I pray, Lord, for the reconciliation this morning of your Holy Spirit with each one of those people, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, church. We-